0: what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Footcandle Films. Film news and reviews from
1: two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Footcandle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across from me, the illustrious Chris Fry. I'm using new words in my vocabulary I'm for 2023. Now. I dig it. I was in a podcast the other night, and I used an entirely different word. I was really excited about to describe my co-host. So you get illustrious. Uh, I'd, it's, I'd, it's my I'm 2023 cool new word of the day plan nice so uh, congratulations on that did you have uh, a
2: calendar you're getting these from or? nope i'm no. just
1: randomly finding words and saying this is a word i'm going to incorporate into my dialogue now, on a regular basis do you
2: look into the definition or no you just see what no like, i don't know what illustrious like means the look at that word i don't know what, okay.
1: illustrious could be a horrible so i kind of looked out
2: <laughs> with illustrious okay cool
1: i'm down with that <laughs> Illustrious doesn't mean good right i, I mean, think so, yes. it means pretty good okay <laughs> good um well that is chris fry Chris and I are both uh, co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival, held right here in Western North Carolina in September. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Maybe tease a little bit more about that that festival. But Chris, what we're here today to do in Foot Candle Films, like we are every time we get together every couple of weeks, is we've got a couple of films to review—new films that are in theaters at the moment or inching their way to online uh, with one of these. I, I can't quite remember where it is. And Well, yeah, both of these are actually playing even right here in Hickory at the moment. I believe, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So in the theater, both of these films, we'll be doing reviewing two films. We'll be reviewing Damien Chazelle's latest film, Babylon, as well as Darren Aronofsky's latest film, the whale starring Brendan Fraser. So we'll be discussing those two films. Then after a short break, we will come back and what we'll, I know everybody's been waiting for, you and I have been waiting for this moment. It happens every year like clockwork. We go through our top films of 2022. The year's done. This is the first official episode we are recording in 2023. So we can officially say 2022 is buttoned up as far as film releases. So we're going to give our recap of the top five from each of us. Top five films of 2022, as well as our biggest disappointments for the year and our biggest surprises from the year. Chris, I'm going to go and make a couple of predictions about the show before we get into it. Cause I okay. think this is going to be an interesting episode. Um, I think of the two reviews we're going to give, I think there's going to be one of those two films that you and I are going to be exactly on the same page about. And I think the other film you and I will be on completely opposite ends of the scale on. Hmm. That is my prediction. I could be wrong, but that is my prediction. I'm not saying which film is which. On that, but I, that's my prediction. We're going to be together on one, like very much in line. And on the other, we're going to be vastly different. That's my prediction. Okay. Since you made
2: the prediction, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a prediction of my own. I'm going to say same page Babylon, different the whale. And those are the two movies we're reviewing. You think we're <laughs> going to be
1: on the same page with Babylon? Not saying it's positive or negative, you're right, right, saying right. same same, page. same opinion. Yes. Right. And you think we're going to be on opposite opinions on the whale,
2: right. Okay. If, if 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 I'm going with that, I actually think we're going to be on the same page with both films. But but if I'm going with what your your predictions, then I'll say okay. same page Babylon, different page the whale. All right. Anyways, well, those well, are the movies happens. we're doing.
1: <laughs> and then also when we get to our top five, sure, I think it's going to be a very interesting top five. At least for me, I'm kind of curious where you're going to be coming with it. Okay, as my, uh, I have I have I have my 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 insight my take on 2022 as a year of movies, and it has heavily influenced my top five. Okay. We'll discuss as we get to that point in the show, but we will be going through our top five of 2022, as well as a few other notes about the year in general. But before we do all of that, we do have two, two new reviews to get to first, as I said. So let's go ahead and jump into our first one, Chris, as we discussed the latest film starring Mr. Brad Pitt, uh, Margot Robbie, um, who else am I missing? There's <laughs> other actors in it, but there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in this, but let's just stay with those two but also directed by Mr. La La Land, Mr. Whiplash, Damien Chazelle. It is Babylon.
0: I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's party time, sparkle time! If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want
1: to be part of something bigger.
0: Yes! Let's go!
2: With Babylon, uh, you know, I'd heard a lot about the film, and uh, it's it's a big, sprawling kind of epic that deals with the early days, well, not early days of Hollywood, but the time period of Hollywood when there wasn't a lot of sound, uh, mm-hmm. there wasn't sound being oh,
1: used. It's called silent film. Silent
2: film. There we go. Yeah.
1: It's a tale That's of technical the out, technical term, the technical
2: term mm-hmm. silent film. A tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood, or as Alan indicated, silent film. Mm -hmm. Um, Things I wasn't expecting in Damien Chazelle's follow-up to La La Land and First Man. A graphic shot of an elephant pooping. A scene with a woman peeing on a naked, laughing man. A party scene that makes Kubrick's eyes wide shut seem tame. Margot Robbie making a Harley Quinn-esque entrance onto the screen. An entertain with, entertainer with a giant phallus pogo sticking around. Um, and if that was enough, said phallus then sprays the audience while watching who is watching the performer. Uh, nice. Flee of the Red Hot Chili Peppers in a tuxedo in which he condemns excesses of others at this party. Yeah. Not, not expecting that. And Brad Pitt making his entrance muttering Italian all within the first 20 minutes yeah, this of is this film. early in the film, everything that I've described is the first 20 minutes. So, um, Alan, what was your take with this? As the description said, an outsized and amb- ambition, outrageous excess. This is the tale that this meant. What was your, what was your experience with Babylon?
1: Well, I've seen this film twice. First time was on a, uh, a film screener copy at, at, Home, So watching it in my home. We got up. so we could
2: do our end of the year list. Right. And, stuff. and sure. because
1: it hadn't come out in the theaters around here yet. Uh, but then I did end up seeing it a second time in the theater. Partly because I kind of was curious to see this in a theater. I just felt like this was a theater film. And uh, even though it's long, it is three hours and eight minutes and change. Um, I just felt like I needed to see it in a the theater. Um, I'm going to say, this is where I build up the tension. A little bit.
2: <laughs> Will we be on the same page? <laughs> yes or no? Yeah.
1: The, the the next few words I'm about to mutter are going to determine if my prediction about this review comes true. I love this movie. <laughs> and it's always an
2: indication if Alan is willing to go see a movie or see a movie well, twice, He's. it's got to be a reason. It,
1: it's normally that's a, I, yes, if I hate a film, I, even if there's a chance for me to go see it a second time, I'll generally say, no, I'm not going to go do it. Right. Why I have better I things to do with my time. <laughs> Sure. And there's a lot of films I did not get to see in 2022. I'm still remissive of. So this would have been me going to see this twice. If I did not like it would have been like, why am I spending three hours when I could have been spending another couple hours catching up on a movie I probably needed to watch by the end of the year. I did love Babylon. However, there is one major glaring issue with it that keeps me from saying that I feel like it is a, I'm not gonna say perfect film. Cause it's not a perfect film but there's a major glaring issue with it and we can get into it. It's probably it's maybe a little, I don't know if it's spoilery or not. I think I can dance around it and be broad enough with it later in the discussion here, but there is a big thematic issue with the film that keeps me from coming away with it. Just five stars on letterbox, just saying it's a great, wonderful, a perfect movie. I I, I love 95% of it and had such a good time with this film and I'm going to leave it at that for now. <laughs> I do. I, I, I have a lot I could say, but sure. I want to, I want to hear your take on it. Cause that's going to steer where we go with this.
2: I, I admired just the sheer ambition of this film. Um, there's a lot going on. It ended up kind of wearing me out by the time we got to the third hour, I felt like it slowed down a lot. Um, because it was kind of like, dwelling in the misery of these people having Mm -hmm. miserable times. And I get that. That's kind of what was happening is stars weren't able to transition into sound. And, but it just, it was just, you know, just beating me over the head with it and kind of got a little bit too heavy. Um, like the third hour and I don't, okay. I've only seen this film once and this tells you how much is in this film. I, I took notes because I like you saw it at home on a screener because we had to do our North Carolina critics list and stuff. So I was getting together the films that I hadn't seen. I watched this it was knew we would probably review it, and it was so jam-packed. That's how I had that list of the first things that happened in the 20 minutes because it was so ridiculous. I was like, I gotta write this stuff down. There's no way I'm gonna remember it by the time Alan. I get around to reviewing it. i make a note that in the third hour it slowed down, it's dragging. But Nellie's performance, who's played by Margaret Robbie, at a party ending with her telling a joke and exiting in a profound fashion <laughs> is a highlight. I have no recollection of that highlight. Like, I have no idea, like, after the recording, you'll have to say, like, oh, here's what she does at the party. Here's the joke she tells. Like, there's just so much going on. Now, I can say, even though that third hour dragged, there were several moments in this film that, like, in any other film, you put two or three of these moments in it, and that would make that film awesome. It's just, I think, the length, and it kind of got unwieldy. But there's a sequence of trying to get a shot before sunset that is... That is great. There's a sequence of Margot Robbie trying to transition into talkies where she's trying to hit a mark on a sound stage. And now because there is literally sound and them having to do all these multiple takes kind of a, and it's, it's done for comedy, but it's also done for like, Hey, this is hard. And it's historically accurate. If you Mm -hmm. believe lots of things that were said about how hard it was for people that in itself kind of justifies the bigger film to me. So there are several instances of that. So even though I don't think I'm as high on it as you are, I still think, especially for people who care about movies, about movies or movies about old Hollywood and all that stuff, this is a must see, but there is a lot of excess stuff that may like, you know, those first 20 minutes, there is a ridiculous amount of yeah. nudity and say, so it's almost like I'm going to see how many people I can get to walk out of the theater, you know, and you know, maybe I think that's what may he's going for. That.
1: Well, And I think there again, you look at what this film is trying to depict. It is, and this is going to lead to what I feel like is the biggest fault of the film. Okay. Right off the bat, like you said, in the first two minutes of this film, we are covered in feces. Okay. (laughs) Yes. People who are being put to labor to work to, for the exploits of these Hollywood people who are just living it up with this ridiculously outright over the top party Yeah, coming to the party, basically covered in crap. You know, I mean that <laughs> yes. that's, that's kind of what the movie is setting the tone for is like, this is what we're going to show you. And yes, it is lopsided in that that first half of that film is very bombastic and just over the top and a little meaning to be shocking on so many levels. But it's needing to do that because that then makes when it does get quieter and it's more about the fall of characters. Sure. It makes it more impactful because you're like, why are we not having fun anymore? Why is there aren't things loud and fast and all that? It's like, well. And every
2: single yeah. one of them has to fail. That's the other thing that.
1: <laughs> Which is what brings me to my the biggest <laughs> fault with the film, though. The thing I will say, I think, is an issue. There's actually two issues. One, uh, the film... Uh, Technically, and even on the marketing, I'm looking at like some of the poster images right now of, of the film on my computer screen, and it really tries to play itself up as following five characters, okay. six if you want to count Gene Smart's um, journalist, Gossip yeah. J- We Which I sure. really liked her part. Oh of yes, she was I I so was good.
2: Happy to see her. Because I haven't really seen her. She was on Designing Women, right? That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I know she's done other stuff, but I don't
1: really follow. She's then, done a lot of TV, like hot, like good prestige TV work. Got you. But nothing, I don't think film wise, I've seen her in. So to a while, see though. her do this, oh, yeah, and she like was she was, she Very was good. awesome. Yeah. Um, but of the five characters that they kind of put all the marketing behind, say so here's the five characters. Uh-huh. We really only spend time with three of them. Right. Two of them get a lot shorter shift. And I do think that's a little unfair because I think they were interesting stories for those two. Right. But they just got a fraction of the screen time and story time that uh Brad Pitt and uh, Margot Robbie's character, Margot Robbie playing Nellie LaRoy, Brad Pitt playing Jack, Con- Jack Conrad. And then we had um Diego Calva, who I really like as mm-hmm. Manny Torres. Yeah. He's uh, good. He was kind of our, he was kind of our our introduction. He's our he's our liaison. He's our person that we've kind of he's in, being introduced to Hollywood just at the same time we are in this film. Right. So he becomes our cat. He's our vessel. He's the he's the person we're watching these proceedings through. Those three really got the lion's share of all the of all the the work, and unfortunately for me, I mean, I was really interested in Sidney Palmer, played by Giovanni Adepo. His performance as a jazz musician at the time. I was really fascinated by his story. And whenever we got to see some of his story, it was great um, seeing his perspective of being in this world of Hollywood as a African-American jazz performer and kind of how that's a whole different situation for him. And we just got so little uh, of him, which was, I think a little bit of a shame and I'd say the same goes for, uh, and I'm trying to get the actress's name. Unfortunately, I don't have it right in front of me. That was when I did not pull up, but she played, um, gosh, I'll have it here in a second uh, Jun Lee. Yes. Um, her character also, I felt like got short shift. I think she was someone that also had some interesting backstory. She got woven into a little bit of the other characters threads, but not enough on her own. So I do feel like that's a little bit of a letdown. I wish, I wish the film had committed to this idea of, we're going to really follow these five characters and like, let you see all the perspective. And it would have been six hours long. True. <laughs> I actually, at that point I would have argued, say, well, just make it a mini series, sure. do that and sure. ha- follow these five characters. That would have been fascinating.
2: There's definitely enough richness there that yeah. it would have been better served. That so way. that's
1: a little minor complaint is I feel like, of course, uh, Nellie Leroy by, by Roby and Brad Pitt's character got the line share of the work to do. And I guess, you know, they're the, they're the names they're going sure. to get the people in. I guess that makes sense. The big issue for me on this film, the reason it just holds me back from just heralding it as, you know, I feel like it's just a, a, a just a top tier film being produced, is for almost three hours we're basically shown how Hollywood is destructive. Hmm. All five of the characters we follow have uh, do not have the best pathways in their careers because of Hollywood. Right. Some of them. Somewhat tragic, some of them just plain sad. And nobody comes out of this film looking good. <laughs> mm. But yet, and I'm fine with that. I don't mind that. But like, give me three hours of the show. And at the end, it's all like, how awesome is Hollywood? But then we have a five to 10 minute sequence at the end, all right? which in itself is an interesting little film. I like what Chazelle did with that. And there's a, a a montage. I would just say, in a yeah. a theater experience, kind of in the future, a little bit from the rest of the story that takes place. It's kind of a, a kind of a coda to the whole thing, and I like the structure of it. I like what he was doing, but the whole message is. Isn't Hollywood amazing? Aren't movies just magic? And yeah, I'm a lot like,
2: of bad stuff happens, but it's okay because we get movies. I'm like,
1: but you just showed us for the last three hours how movies are anything but magic. I mean, yeah, we had magical <laughs> moments. Right. The the scene, there's a whole extended sequence, which is my favorite part of the film. The whole trying to get that last shot before the sun Sunset, goes down. Yeah, it's great, too. Oh, it's so good. It's good. And it's Spike Jones as the oh, German yes. director, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> which,
2: okay. Yeah, I wondered if... <sighs> To me, it was almost kind of jarring. Like you have Spike Jones, you have Flea from the Chili Peppers. In a way, it was kind of like jarring because I was like, "Wait," because they're very recognizable people, at least to me. Yeah. I mean, maybe not Spike Jones not for some people, but then it's not that Spike Jones is just in this, but he is doing a ridiculous, and I think he he is fully aware of oh, that absolutely. ridiculous German accent yes. and just loving. He's just like what, like you know, it's just like, but. It is what it is. So I, I yeah. just,
1: that whole sequence, so basically uh, just the setup of the sequences is sure. they're, they're, they're filming, a, uh, making a silent movie out in the, the desert. It's a giant battle scene going on in the background with hundreds of extras. And it's just these unruly mob of extras that are, they're trying to corral into a giant or like Roman level fight scene. And then, you know, Brad Pitt's being carted up for his one shot of the scene where he's going to be kissing a girl on a cliff Overlooking this battle scene and the camera breaks and Manny, who's kind of been ingrained into this Hollywood scene, has to go travel to get a replacement camera. And that whole sequence and the timing of it and just the way it kind of just crescendos is perfect. It's yeah, such a good it's sequence. A good, it's um, a good sequence. That
2: and the sequence of the sound stage, like yeah. there's just all these things. So you over. get
1: a couple little moments where it's like, all right. Movies movies do have a little magic to them. That is that one <laughs> little touch, you know, but then of course, immediately, immediately after the camera cut, I think Brad Pitt's like, you know, drunk out of his mind, his he character, and he's still just, you know, you get the moment that you're meant to see on film, but yet everything going on behind the scenes of this film is just trash and just a mess. I mean, people are dying on this set <laughs> murdered. <laughs> it's just, so it, it's, it's a little disingenuous for me to get to the end of this film and, and, and him try to, Twist it to say, oh, you know what? Actually, movies are, movies are the best thing ever. They are magic, and we should all be emotional about watching movies. Okay, yeah. I do get emotional watching movies. I do love movies. But what you just showed me for the last three hours doesn't earn that little montage ending that you gave us. I love the montage ending. I want to see that as its own little short film. Hmm. But it doesn't belong at the end of this movie. It looks
2: like a short film that was taken from the great movie ride at, yeah. In, at Disney. Yeah, World. which again, yeah.
1: I love. I love montages like that. <laughs> and I mean, you know, the fact that Avatar. Is in this movie, which is so weird. Maybe
2: Damien Chazelle uh, was paid early by the Academy to come up with the montage that they're going to show at the Oscars. And that's what he did for the end of this film. And it. It. Yeah. Well, they decided
1: not to use it. And he's yeah. like, well, fine. i am gonna stick it in my, in my movie.
2: movie. I worked really hard on that.
1: So I'm just saying that I thought the ending was a little. I see that just a bit of a groaner. I I just felt like it just didn't fit. I'm like, Oh, I don't know what message you're trying to give me. Cause I'm perfectly happy with the message of, Hey, you know what? We may love Hollywood, but man, it mess. It it was bad for a lot of people. (laughs) And we need to acknowledge that I was okay with that message on its own. So that's my issue with the film. But again, that's five minutes of the film, five to 10 minutes of a three and three hour, 10 minute movie. The other three hours of this film, I, I adored. I loved, um, there is a scene. Uh, there's a sequence involving. Kind of, if I talk about the sequence towards the end of the film featuring a certain I actor, may, I
2: may or may not remember it. <laughs> um,
1: well, it's the sequence of descending into the the pits. Yes, the the that's not a spoiler because other regions that, that of actor, Hollywood. That LA. actor has been in the promotional. He's in the preview. He is in the preview. Yeah, uh, it was Tobey feature- Maguire. Yes, mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire showing up late in the film. With a very uh, interesting performance. Yeah. Um,
2: he seems to be having a blast. I And
1: he's a producer on the film. So okay. obviously he was kind of invested in in, in doing it as well. I thought it was really a great, <laughs> great use of him as an actor and just playing so strange against type. And yes, is it a lot like, is it a lot like the Alfred Molina scene from Boogie Nights? Mm. Yeah, it is. It's a lot like it, but I love that scene too. And I'm okay with it. They, they want to ape it a little bit. That's fine. Was the um, were some of the sequences in this film reminding me of uh, the Goodfellas helicopter tracking uh, Ray Liotta uh, through a musical montage? Did some of the scenes kind of remind me of that? Yes, absolutely. There was a whole sequence of Manny and um, Nellie trying to escape from things late in the film that just had a very Goodfellas type vibe. There's a lot of borrowing from some other film things, but again, when you're making a movie about making movies, sure, and you have an entire musical sequence dedicated to your love of the song "Singing in the Rain," mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm willing to give you some of those visual motifs to other movies. It's okay. So overall, I, I had a blast with the film. I love it. It's it has some of the funniest moments I've had in a film in a while. <laughs> It has definitely some of the more outrageous moments I've sure. seen in the film. Uh, it also has uh, uh, some very, I think, poignant moments. I think the discussion that uh, um, Gene, Gene Smart, Gene Smart, has with uh, Jack Conrad, played by yeah. Brad Pitt, is an outstanding scene of dialogue. Um, and I love just as much, even though um, I wish, even I mean, though Gene Smart's the one delivering most of the, the dialogue, I loved Brad Pitt's reactions to right. it. Right, which I thought were just as impactful. So, well,
2: yeah. I think, I think that's, that is a good, and I wish the movie had ended there. Um, but, yeah. I see that. I, but you know, it, it continued on and you know, it is, what, but I, I think that was such a good scene. And I think my opinion of this film would be closer to your opinion of it mm-hmm. if they had ended at that part, because it was kind of like a, she's kind of summing some stuff up kind of themes of the movie, but in an interesting way, he's listening to all this and the, yeah, the way they work with each other in that scene is excellent. And I think it would have just been like, you, I kind of got what I needed from the film at that point. Yeah, so, that's true. But um, I'll say too, um, I think this film was just doing so much and some of it worked, but yeah, tone kind of what you're saying about what it's saying about Hollywood was a little bit of a problem maybe. Um, for me and how it tried to have have its cake and eat it too mm-hmm. at the end. But um, there were so many good moments, a lot of which we've mentioned. Um, one which kind of came at the beginning of that scene trying to get the daylight shot was Jack, or Jack Conrad, Brad Pitt's character, is on set, but he is drinking and getting ready <laughs> supposedly for the shot that's going to happen. And he... Has somebody in the tent with him where they're getting him ready, you know, getting makeup and everything. And he's spout drunk and he is spouting off all these like random lines and ideas that he has. And they're basically future show stopping lines that are going to movies like, um, Hostella I'll Vista. be back and all, all this stuff that he's saying. And that to me, like you said, was just kind of a funny meta commentary yeah. about movies. And it's even though some things like your the Goodfellas like chase type mentality they had in that one part, but it's like he's. He's he's totally aware. Damien out the writer and director, yeah. he's totally aware of what he's doing. And I thought that was because at first I was like, wait, what? And then, like, the more Brad Pitt kept saying those lines, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I yeah. see what you're doing. It was doing. like a
1: line from God With The Wind. Yeah. It was a line from The Terminator. Right. <laughs> it's just so random. Right. So yeah. it,
2: it, it's a lot, it's ambitious. Um, I appreciate the swing that Damien Chazelle was doing. Did it all work for me? No, but there's enough there that made it an interesting watch.
1: I I'm saying it's nine out of 10 worked for me. One out of 10 did not. Gotcha. Um, but that one out of 10 is not enough to make me not love this film. Um, yeah, just the audacity of it. I'm always game for somebody taking, like you said, a big swing. This one certainly was. I think everybody was bought in. We haven't really talked about performances per se, but I I really thought Margot Robbie was great. I mean, oh, yeah. I thought she was it, it she bu- yeah, she was very Harley Quinnish, but that's the way her character was meant to be played. Right. But um, she's got that type of character down pat, and she just really like amped it up to twelve on this one. So
2: right, um, and I think. That was the role. It wasn't like she was playing Harley Quinn. No, yeah. that was like you're saying that was the role. That was and the so character.
1: Nellie LaRoy was it's just, is just the wild child. That's it, at her At first in the film, it was yeah.
2: just a teeny bit distracting, specifically her entrance. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, is she just playing Harley Quinn? Like because of how her like high pitched voice, mm-hmm. which comes into play later, her voice. So at first it was a little jarring, but yeah. no, she was she was still great.
1: Margaret Ruby was good. Brad Pitt I thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I I generally like Brad Pitt most. I think he's a good actor. I think this is the kind of role that Brad Pitt kind of excels in. He just (laughs) gets it. He 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 had to balance both some comedy, some had to balance some being that that dashing leading man while also being a drunkard and a horrible husband and everything else. So yeah, it's uh he he knows how to play this part for sure too. And then as I mentioned, Diego Calva as Manny. I'm not familiar with him. I know he's uh, been involved in. All that, I think a lot of Mexican productions. Okay, uh, I, I loved him. I thought, yeah, he, was I thought great. he was great. He was so good, so just and t- captivating to watch, and you really wanted to follow him, and you cared for him. And out of all of these characters, by the end of the day, he's the character you still kind of have some some feeling for. I mean, everybody else kind of squanders a lot of it, or. or does things that kind of cause them to fall out of favor with the viewer, but he's the one you still want to gravitate to. And, sure. Uh, so yeah, I thought I thought performances were great. I already mentioned uh Jovan, a uh, paid a depot as a uh, Sidney Palmer. Um You mentioned Flea film. I mean, yeah, we're it's it's an interesting cast. And then Gene Smart was was great. So I thought performances all the way around were just were really fun. Mm-hmm. Just word of warning for anybody who hasn't seen this or was thinking about going to see it. Um it is probably one of the strongest rated R movies I've seen yeah uh, it is truly shocking especially in the first 30 to 45 minutes um it's more yeah not necessarily violence but sex and oh sex uh, drug use. drug use yeah. um
2: profanity all, yeah just there is a
1: scene involving a snake bite that was a lot more graphic than I expected it to be as well so, I mean, it just it definitely is pushing the boundary everywhere it can. Just to be mindful of that, this is not one for the kiddies by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> no. So, even though yes, Chris alluded to the fact that I think I saw it with my my son, a, a teenage older son, you know, who's studying film, uh, I I was still finding myself uh, a little <laughs> uncomfortable <Sure. laughs> in many sure. places of this film. So, anyway, but that is uh, that is Babylon by Damien Chazelle, and uh, sounds like okay. So, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and tell you my prediction for the show is wrong. Okay. I, I did not think you were going to like this. Oh, this is the one I thought we were going to be vastly different on. Okay. Okay. So now that kind of tips my hand to where we are on the whale. So, <laughs> sure. all right, that is Baby- Babylon is still playing in theaters. Probably not for long. It's not doing too hot. And Chris, just so you know, the record, I don't think you and I have ever been positive on a big film like this, that at the same time had a rotten score on the rotten tomato critics score. Oh, yeah.
2: This is considered to be a rock. Wow. I know. So it's kind of interesting. So it has a lot of hate out there. We're
1: actually in the minority on this film. Okay. All right. So that is Babylon. Let's move on to our second review, which is Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. I know these rules can feel constraining. But remember, the point of this course is to learn how to write
2: clearly and persuasively. Think about that. Think about the truth of your
1: argument. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter.
2: Are you actually trying to parent me right now?
1: In Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, we have Brendan Fraser playing a reclusive English teacher in his pursuits to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter. Now, in that log line that I just read from IMDb, that tells you a little bit about this film, but it leaves out one very important aspect of the film, which is, the reason why his English teacher character is reclusive is because he is uh, enormously overweight, uh, a, a massively obese character who we find through the course of the film has kind of let himself get to this point due to some heartbreak in his life and some other factors that have led him down this, this unhealthy path in his life. So we spend the entire film in his house, inside his living room or on the porch of his living room with his interactions with both his daughter, played by Sadie Sink, as well as his uh, caregiver, uh, Hong Ch- played by Hong Chao, his caregiver Liz, and a young, uh, young man who uh, kind of happens upon Charlie, the Brendan Fraser character, while trying to what was he trying to do? Thomas, played by Ty Simpkins, he was trying he was to, like a um. The Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's type Witness. Person. Right. Yeah. Coming to the door and somehow Evangelism then it starts to get wrapped into the life of Charlie at that point as well. Right. So, Chris, we have a film that many people have said this is Darren Aronofsky very much in his wrestler mode. If you remember the film he did with Mickey Rourke several years ago called The Wrestler, where it was a much, much smaller film than what other Aronofsky films have been. Very different than like Mother or um the uh um Noah film that he did and some others this one being a very small intimate film Really focused on one character at a certain point in their life who have made some decisions and choices that now have them In a place where they're trying to find their way out of that situation Chris I was a big fan of the wrestler. I like that movie a lot. I I I remember us reviewing it on the film We showed it at our film society. I did really like that film. I like that change in tone so thinking of this as kind of in that same vein, and also once again, taking an actor like Brendan Fraser that we haven't really seen a lot of right. in recent years. So they kind of bring that actor back much like you did with Mickey Rourke and the wrestler. How did the whale work for you? Um, not only as a Darren Aronofsky film, but just as a film and a return vehicle for Mr. Brandon Fraser.
2: So this film is, is challenging in the fact, um, that it does deal with someone who is obviously has these emotional problems and he's really, 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 really overweight and struggling with that. Um, so you can separate how you feel about the film and maybe the tone and whether it's kind of leering at the subject matter and taking advantage and exploiting Mm -hmm. the subject matter of somebody who's kind of shut themselves away and is, kind of agoraphobic, afraid mm-hmm. to go outside. So, and are they leering at that and kind of exploiting that you, I can separate that from Brendan Fraser's, the aspect you talk about, Brendan Fraser kind of making a return. He, he gives a great performance. I've always Agreed. liked Brendan Fraser and he did disappear mm-hmm. from Hollywood for a while. His return in this is really, is really good. Do I hate that? Maybe it could be seen as kind of a manipulative, exploitive film that he's happens to be in. Well, yeah, that's kind of a shame, but he still gives an amazing, now his amazing performance,
1: performance is very, very good. Yeah, I'm would, not going to discredit any awards or recognition he receives for this performance. I
2: would assume that he will get nominated at least. Oh, he'll for definitely get nominated. I would, I would hope definitely so.
1: nominated. And I think right now he's probably buzz wise a front runner. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, so he was really good you mentioned um, the person who plays his assistant in the film, Hong Chao, and I thought she was really good. Yes. And I actually, because I was watching this film at home, critic screener towards the end of the year, I was like, wait a second. And I actually <laughs> stopped because I was so curious because it's like, I feel like I've seen her before. And then I was like, was she in the menu? Yes. And yes. And you talk, which we actually talked about here on the show. We like to you talk performance about too, yeah. such a a range (laughs) between the characters you're playing, but intensity in both. One is a quiet kind of intensity in the menu. And this one, man, (laughs) her scenes with Brendan Fraser are very strong. So, um, I I think actually the acting across the board, Mm -hmm. um, I thought was really strong and you basically only have, you know, kind of three characters. Yeah. So there's not a lot of characters in this. Um, which I think is well, it was
1: based off of a play. That's what I understand too. So which, obviously it's a,
2: so yeah. I think with that, that was kind of one of the things that maybe I felt like didn't work for me is I felt like because it was a play, I mean the fact that it's all centered in his one, this one room. Yes. I understand that. Well, that so
1: makes sense. Given the sure. story. I mean, he given the is, story, we are seeing his life and his life is these four walls and the, the one bedroom. He makes it to. So,
2: and I, um, you know, it, so it could have been, you know, when it was shot in production, kind of a COVID film too. It's mm-hmm. easy to do because you have a small number yeah. of people doing it. But where I struggle with it a little bit, or where I struggle with it, was the character Thomas played by Ty Simpkins. Mm-hmm. He, did, he did a good job, I believe, the role. But to me, it felt like something kind of tacked on to give the play some extra running time so that mm-hmm. it wasn't like a one act and to give the movie a little extra things to deal with where I didn't think it needed that.
1: Well, he was there for for, for exposition. He, somebody had to come in not knowing anything about these people. So people could explain to him or he could start to figure out what's going on. And that's really what I felt like he was there for. Is just we need an outsider, someone who doesn't know Charlie, doesn't know what the situation is, to be shocked by Charlie. But we also have them.
2: that with. Uh, so that I think there are ten. Yeah, there's Dan the Pizza Man. <laughs> yeah, so but he even that does a little bit. But it's, it's too a surface. Bit, but
1: it's just it's very much a we need somebody as an outsider to come into this world and kind of experience it, just like we as the audience do, and kind of explain to us right. why there's drama in this room and why why there's you know yeah
2: but I, yeah, so I think kind of the construction and the writing held me back a little bit, but the performances across the board I thought were strong. even Samantha Morton, who plays Charlie's ex-wife um, and the mother of Sadie Singh's character Ellie, she doesn't have a lot of screen time mm. but for me when she was on screen, she worked yeah. <laughs> so.
1: I, I really had a hard time with this film. Okay. Um, I, I, I love the performances. I'm with you on that, but I could not get away from this film. Just feeling very, it's not exploitive. It's not the word I want to use, but it's just, it seemed to me at times to just revel in the, um, in the physicality of this character to the point where I, it didn't need to, I, I, there are a couple scenes in this film that were just really just turned off. And it's not because you could say, well, it's just because it was kind of disgusting to look at or whatever. No, it's just uh, there was a couple scenes where the character Charlie gets very down on himself, has, has is having a rough moment and just gorges himself on food. Right. And I get it. I understand. And I get it. That's why he's in the situation he's in. This is what's caused it. But the way it was shot, the way it was presented was almost like just reveling and just, oh, look how gross this is. Look how disgusting this is.
2: Right. And like i you just didn't demonizing need that. him and then yeah. I
1: I'll, him seeing him sitting in this this room um choosing not to turn on a webcam for students he's doing online uh, instruction for. That was it. That's all that show me him, show 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 the uh the embarrassment he has about his own appearance. That's all I need to know. Right. The whole let's really hone in on how much difficulty he's having sitting up and down. Let's really hone in on, you know, uh, him eating and just, it just seemed to revel too much in that. And I, it was a real, it just didn't work. I didn't feel it was necessary. I mean, I, within the first five minutes, I'm already feeling the pain for this Charlie character. I did not need everything else that was piled onto this. That felt like it was just there for, and I don't think he was trying to sensationalize it, but I think he's like, Oh, I'm just going to show everybody how, how really, really uh, obscene this guy's life is right now, and it just—it didn't work. It didn't work for me. I love the performances, but I just had a really tough time with the film. I—I uh, I can't say I—it was a good film. Hmm. I thought it was a very—I mean, yeah, it was. It was based on a play. It's a very simple film. I get it. And there is a moment where I mean, everything in this film is very realistic. There's no fantastical elements to it except. There is a moment towards the end, which didn't work for me either mm. as well. So, um, without spoiling all of that, but. Well, I, I see,
2: I, I actually thought, you know, despite the film being very heavy with messaging and I felt like it was a little exploitative and so, you know, so I agree with that, but how it ended you know, with the shot and with kind of like a flash. Sequence. I, yeah, it worked.
1: I thought for it was,
2: a, it was a little bit of a grace note that at the point after being through all the whole film, I was like, okay, so it, it was a little bit of a grace note that I, mm-hmm. I appreciated, but I could see how I could see how it doesn't work for some and could just be say, well, that's just more of the manipulation going on.
1: Yeah, so, manipulation is a good word to put it. I, I just felt like there was a lot of instances where I'm going to show you exactly what you ought to be feeling right now. And where it was not necessary, I think that the situation, the performances alone told us everything we need to know about these characters, and especially Charlie's situation. So I just felt like it was reveling in some of the physicality and the visual nature of his elements, which I didn't think it had to.
2: So. Well, and I, I feel like something else that I is worth maybe. I wonder what your reaction. Charlie, you get to know a lot about him and about how he feels about his daughter and about decisions he's made in his life. And he states at one point to, I think, the the nurse that's coming in help, or his, I guess, assistant. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. really his paid assistant, but um, Liz. He yeah. states to Liz, do you ever get the feeling that people are incapable of not caring? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting thing because you know how he seems to be a very caring. And, mm-hmm. you know, he has just you know, emotions are very at the surface with him. Um, as far as what he thinks about his daughter, um, I thought that was kind of challenging because she played by, you know, um, Sadie Sink, Sink. Mm -hmm. she puts forth this very angry teenager, angry at her father who she hasn't known for a long time, but then he thinks he sees in her an underlying helpful nature. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering whether that is really there or is that just something he's seeing in her because uh, of how she, um, her interactions with the guy who comes in, who's like the Mormon missionary yeah, Thomas. He, um, yeah, yeah. Thomas, her interactions with him and what ends yeah. up evolving with that character. To me, I didn't really buy it, but then I don't, what, what do you think? that No, was no. Just I,
1: I, I totally think that I think Ellie, <laughs> I think as her mother describes late in the film, she's evil or she's, you know, just, And I feel like even though there's goodness at hell Ellie's heart, I think the things that she's doing with Thomas were very manipulative. Were meant to be, to be hurting. And, but Charlie refuses to believe that Charlie, Charlie, Charlie is a good person. He believes in the best in people, even his ex wife, which they obviously had their struggles and issues. He still seems to have a genuine care for her. He definitely loves his daughter and wants to believe the best in his daughter. So when he hears that his daughter did something that, on the surface, looks like it's meaning to pain somebody and do wrong, he's believing. No, I believe she's doing this for good. She's trying to help him. She's trying to reach out. I, I didn't. I don't believe it. But I think that's the point: is that we're as the audience, possibly looking at and saying, "No, that's not why she did that." Hmm. But the fact that Charlie was just so willing to give her that moment and to give her that that hmm. to believe that. I think, you know, if you want to say the ending works for you, I think it works because of that moment. Because there at that moment, you have Ellie, his daughter, finally starting to see something in her father that the whole movie, I think she's been avoiding trying to see.
2: Got you. you know? And
1: anytime time she starts to see it, she immediately, yeah. you know, turns and does something really She goes into really protective nasty. mode. She yeah. goes in, yeah. Uh, Got gotcha. you. So, no, I thought the dynamic was really interesting. I, I, you know what? I loved, I love the actual core of the story with this uh, f- five individuals and, and the way they're interacting with each other and, 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 and their relationships. I just, I just didn't care for the way the story was being presented to us in general. Um, just didn't feel like it worked. I felt very, Yeah, know, you're supposed to come out of a film. I mean, I felt the same way after The Wrestler that he did. Mm-hmm. I felt very, you feel, you feel a little dirty. You feel a little just, you know, uh, kind of uh, with a lot of grime all over you after having seen this, having to try to scrape it away to find the good. Right. And I definitely felt that way with here. I just, I feel like the grime and the dirt was being piled on a little too heavy that even when you have some great moments of, of, of emotion and, and sentimentality, it was just hard to see it through all the mucky kind of got thrown at you throughout the whole running time of the film. So, Hmm. um, see i I had a hard time saying this film worked for me but i do admire the performances absolutely and if brandon fraser were to win a lot more awards i'm i'm all for it i think he's great Um, i'm pretty sure i I know for a fact on the film critic ballots that we do here in state of north carolina i i voted for him best actor because i thought he he deserved it i thought he earned it um so anyway that's out Okay, well, and it sounds like whale. we were on a
2: similar page with both, I
1: guess. Yeah, yeah, similar page on both. So I'm a little dis—I'm not saying I'm disappointed. I kind of was <laughs> looking for a little more, a little more friction on on one of these two films. I, I, you were more positive on the whale than I was. Sounds Definitely. like it. Yeah, uh, I was more positive on Babylon, but I mean, neither of us saying we hate either of these films. But you know, just and it's interesting because both of these films are ones that right now critics are kind of cutting to pieces, you know, Well the I whale, think, I think everybody's accepting that Brandon Fraser's performance is great, but they're just cutting the film down pretty you. hard. I'm not willing to go there. Cause I think there's, there's some, there's some good there. I just, there's I merit. had a very personal tough time with the film and sure. can't, can't go out and recommend it to a lot of people just for that reason. So, um, so this interesting pairing of films. Thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about two films that critics are kind of having a field day right now, but we actually can't, <laughs> I mean, you came away in both of these positive, which is amazing. I did not expect that at all.
2: Yeah. Not that I would run out and recommend them to people, but I think there's enough there that I just can't, you know, do they border on kind of, I think both of them are, they basically rated probably if I were to do the whole letterbox thing. Yeah. One to five stars. They're probably both in the three for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're just, I think there's enough there. Well, it's all about performances. And I think some of the statements that it's trying to make, does it maybe make them a little heavy handed? Yes. Yes. But I, too, try to see the best in people and do try to be hopeful sometimes. So, you know, maybe not handled or put on the screen the best way. But there was enough there that I was like, yeah, that's it's not a complete piece of flaming garbage. Babylon, swing for the fences, ambition. Did it all work for me? Well, no. But there are enough really, really good scenes in there that I'm not just going to dismiss it out of hand and say it's a flaming train wreck. Well,
1: I'll go ahead and say this. The whale is not quite a three star for me. Okay. It's probably in the more two-star range. Fair enough. I'll give it that for the performances, but as a whole, the whole film just was tough for me, and I, I can't give it a, a good recommendation. I can understand. Babylon, I'll be a little higher than the three. I, we, I think, I, think we, I
2: may know one of your top
1: five films. Of the we year may now. be talking about that a little bit later in the show. <laughs> so, okay. So that's our two reviews. That is Babylon and the whale. Both of them as of the time of recording in theaters, but I don't anticipate they'll both be there terribly long. They got to
2: make room for more screens for Avatar way of water. Uh,
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's another one of the ones I'm going to go and say, well, I'll I'll preface that on my list in a little bit. A few of the films I've not seen this year. Avatar, the way of water is one of them.
2: It and would not have made your list anyway. You don't
1: think so. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Well, I don't think so. Well, what did make our list? Let's find go. out here in a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it is the top five of 2022 uh, from both Chris and myself. We Look forward to sharing that with you in just a minute. Stay tuned. You're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com.
2: Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. Uh, You heard our reviews of Babylon and the Whale in the first half of the show, and as promised, we are now to the point where we are Ready to look retrospectively at the year 2022, as Chris and I have both compiled our top five list of the year. So Chris, we'll get to our biggest disappointment surprises afterwards. We're going to hold that for a little late in the show, but let's go ahead and get into our top five. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying a couple things uh, before we get into our list. Um, I did, you did mention at the beginning, top of the show that I was one who earlier in the year kind of said yeah, you know, twenty twenty two movies. I'm just not, I'm not feeling like the. I don't want to say quality, but just my enjoyment was maybe not as high of the movies so far I had seen. Or I felt like there was gonna be fewer choices and selections for so one to be award two. winning. Yeah, I just, I just think two, <laughs> just two. two. Okay. Yeah. Um, but looking at it, I realized what what the deal with my my list is gonna be a little different. And I think there's a couple films in here that I'm even surprised are in my top five. It's all anime. Yes, it's all anime. Okay. That Actually, is... I just put Top Gun Maverick four out of the five times. Okay, fair enough. Because I've seen it four <laughs> times. So each time I saw it, I rated it as one of the top five. Got so. you. <laughs> um, Have no, you
2: really seen it four times?
1: I've seen parts of it th- four times. Wow. I've seen it all the way through twice. So Okay. Yeah. Um, but my films are definitely more populist this year than not. Okay. So you're not gonna hear I'll go into you, it, you're not gonna hear the Tars or Banshees Adventure Aaron on my list. And I realized why that is, because I I really thought about why are why did my films tend to gravitate more towards the more popular, populist films? And that's honestly because I think this is the year I kind of felt like we got back into theater. Mm. And I kind of felt like I enjoyed my theatrical experience when I I had an enjoyable experience as something that, whether it was spectacle, whether it was uh, the the audience watching it with or something, it was just, I enjoyed those experiences more. And maybe, you know, during the COVID years, I had a lot greater appreciation or I found myself enjoying a lot of smaller, quieter, more independent films. This year, I found myself kind of leaning back a little more towards the bigger movies, the bigger, the bigger spectacle movies. So my, my list is going to be a little different for that reason. Um, just want to kind of give that little preface there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I'm curious to hear yours, Chris, you go ahead and we'll, we'll spoil this for the audience. Chris typically sees more movies than I do in the year. His letterbox numbers dwarf mine. Uh, <laughs> and actually I think this year I probably, it's the, probably the fewest number of films I've seen in the last several years. Okay. 2022. Okay. There are several I did not see that may be in conversation. If I'd saw them, Uh, I have not seen Glass Onion, have not seen Tar, and I haven't seen Avatar. I know you said it wouldn't make my list, and probably wouldn't. I don't don't
2: think so. Probably, but if you're going for bigger spectacle films, again, a lot
1: of people are critics are kind of split on it too. You know, it's like half of them loving the film, half of them hating it. So, who knows? But those are ones I do say, yeah, I haven't seen those, and I don't know if they would have affected my top five or not, but just kind of spill those out there. Hmm. But Chris, I am always curious. I love hearing your top five. So let's start with number five. What have you got for us on your, your, your top five of 2022?
2: Okay. So this would probably rank in there under a, a film Alan hasn't seen and B, a film that probably, and I actually, I don't know if it's had a theatrical release yet. It's definitely played festivals, but it's one of those that definitely the theater going experience wouldn't really make you I appreciate this. This is a blockbuster type film. Um, it is Sarah Polly's new film, Women Talking. Yes. And it's a group of young women, in an, or a group of women, in an isolated religious colony. They struggle to reconcile their faith with a string of sexual assaults committed by the colony's men. It is based on a book, which was a true story that happened in mm-hmm. this kind of community. I guess uh, this is me totally blanking. Uh, if it's, I don't know if it's necessarily Amish, but it's definitely of that type thing where these people are sure. isolated community. Um, and basically this is like a play that is done, which maybe I guess also it was a play before it became a movie, but it was really well done. And for 104 minutes, if you can make me watch just a group of women sitting in one room and you can keep that riveting, then that's, that's worthy of me recognizing it. Um, it's an incredible ensemble cast. If you ever want to know, like, well, you know, you I see best actor, best actress, but when you're talking about ensemble, like, what's an example of a really good ensemble cast? Well, this this would be it because everybody, no matter how small, when they do speak their point or their speaking part, you're like they're contributing something. Mm. It's it's definitely like a well woven tapestry okay. um, bonus points because it gets the most impressive use of a monkeys song in cinema history <laughs> for me at least all oh, the monkeys yeah the a Monkees, song by the monkeys yeah, a song okay. by the monkeys gotcha. yes it's, and, and it's and it's there and yeah it's just kind of it was very jarring but when it happens you're like huh and then, and then hmm. things that happen around or something that just kind of why that song's used and stuff is it's good and sarah paulie is a director who Hasn't made a lot of films, but yeah. has made films. She made um, Stories We Tell, a documentary mm-hmm. that we, I think we reviewed way we back on the show. We both really liked
1: it, yeah.
2: Um, but anyways, so this is kind of her first film in a while. And uh, performances, I mentioned Great Ensemble, but you have Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Ben Whishaw. Um, he is, I think, the one... Well, there are some males in it, but it's predominantly female cast. But he is this one guy who's tasked with trying to like document what these women are talking about in this like loft of a barn that they meet to talk and have this serious discussion. Um, So if you don't like films that take place predominantly in one room or where it's just a lot of dialogue, (laughs) this may not be for you, Mm, but uh, for me, it's my uh, fifth, fifth favorite film of the year.
1: Okay. No, I, 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 it's been on my list. You're right. I have not seen it. Um, Sounds like it would be the equivalent of um, was it mass? um from last year or two years ago yes kind of that same vein um which i was a big fan of that film i i thought that worked extremely well i am i like sarah polly so yes this is one i'm i'm disappointed i haven't got to catch up with. and i
2: think it will have a theatrical release if it hadn't already i think in 2023 will it come to your town don't know
1: yeah we will see all right so women talking by sarah polly is chris fry's number five film of 2022 All right, so even though I said my my list uh, leans a little more towards bigger films and more spectacle films and more audience uh, reaction films, uh, my number five is an exception to that. (laughs) Okay. Um, It is the film Bones and All by Luca Luca Guadagnino. Um, Yeah, this film still just kind of stuck with me, which is – surprising because I did not go into it expecting it to to have that kind of impact on me. We talked about it a few weeks ago on our our episodes. This is Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell in a love story. That's also centered around cannibalism. And surprisingly enough, it works for me in that combination. I'm always a fan of mixing genres whenever possible, kind of the young romance road movie combined with a horror element like cannibalism. Uh, it just works so well for me. It, just a mixture of this. I still feel like, uh, Mark Rylance as oh, Sully oh, is one of the best characters we've had on film in the last couple of years. I Definitely, still yeah. think that one's going to go down in the annals of history as, wow, that was a, <laughs> that was a creepy, scary performance. And, an and
2: unfortunate and, uh, that I don't hear him being talked about with best no, supporting actor at all, um, Shame. at all because yeah, it's quite the performance by him.
1: Yeah. So for that reason, I love the kind of 80s, late 80s setting of it. I love the road movie mentality of it. It's two young characters who get together who have a common trait about them. And as they go on to explore with the goal of of, of Marin, played by Taylor Russell, trying to find her mother. And all that leads into kind of like your typical road movie. It's like meeting different characters and people along the way. And I love that format. Also, I love the framework of we're learning Marin's story through a cassette tape that she's listening to that her father recorded for her. Right. That to me also helps carry the film. I just love everything about this film. I thought it was great. I thought it was upsetting and tragic and romantic all at the same time, just equal levels. So uh, my number five is bones and all.
2: Yeah. I, I liked the film, but was not as high on it as you were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's one of those I kind of saw at the end of the year, the deluge of movies you try yeah. to see. I think a second viewing would probably would probably help me with
1: that. Could be definitely some of the best characters I've seen in a film. I'm not going to go out and say it's the best ensemble. But it's more of a, the characters that we get introduced to have, some of them have very short fleeting moments, but those moments are pretty impactful. So, uh, I'm talking to you, Michael Stuhlbarg. <laughs> I think Michael Stuhlbarg gets the award for, I'm going to be in a movie for 10 minutes or less, but I'm going to make such an impact when I do, and then I'm out. And uh, it, does, it does work here as well. The so.
2: Type of role that I haven't seen him play either. Just mm-hmm. this like oh, outsized, yeah. <laughs> creepy person. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. So that's my number five. All right, Chris, what do you have for number four?
2: So um keeping with my rather obscure picks, at least at the bottom of my list. Um, my number four is a documentary called My Old School. It's by first-time director Jono McLeod. It can be found on Hulu, so you won't have a problem finding this one. If you have Hulu, you can, you can watch it. Um, the description is, In 1993, 16-year-old Brandon Lee enrolled at Bearsden Academy, a secondary school in a well-to-do suburb of Glasgow, Scotland. What followed over the next two years would become the stuff of legend. Um, There's a lot of innovation going on in this documentary. Uh, Alan Cumming is featured in the documentary. He lip syncs to the voice of the Brandon Lee person in the film. Hmm. That becomes apparent why he's doing that as the film goes on. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Animation is used in this to kind of tell some story parts, archival footage from the time that this happened in 1993. So what was also amazing to me is that this is kind of a crazy story. It I mean not kind of. It is a crazy story that I don't remember hearing about at all. And mm. 1993, you know, for me I, I was aware of news yeah, you were aware of right. things going um, on. Um so I was alive and everything. So just for that to have happened and it seems so crazy, I can't believe a film like a narrative film like you know based on a true story film hasn't been made out of this. Wow. Um so it's so an interesting documentary and just interesting in the way the format and the way they choose the storytelling to tell the, the story I thought was fascinating. So that is uh, my number four. It's a mm. documentary sneaking onto my list, but My Old School, and it's available on Hulu.
1: Wow. Okay. You are starting a trend of two for two movies I have not seen, <laughs> but they are on my watch list. Man, as soon as you mention them, they go on my list. So, okay. My Old School, Chris is number four. My number four, uh, I predicted early on that you and I were going to have one film that overlapped in our top five. Okay. And I'm curious if this is, if I'm right on this one. Okay. My number four is everything everywhere, all at once. Um, that is the, uh, by the Daniels. It is uh, starring uh, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, this film has gotten a lot of acclaim by critics. I mean, I've seen it showing up on a lot of best of lists. I remember watching it and, On first blush, I liked it. I I absolutely liked it on first blush, but I also felt it was maybe a little overhyped going into it by a lot of people saying it was the greatest cinematic achievement, you know, in the last several years, whatever. I really liked it the first time, but I had some, I had some, I was a little slight bit unimpressed compared to what I expected. I have seen it again since then and my appreciation grew for it. I do think, Just like we talked about with Babylon, anytime directors are just going for it and just let's just put everything we feel like makes would make this movie work on the screen. Damn the conventions, damn the the structure, just do it. Hmm. And that's what this film is for me. And it works. And actually, the fact that it works even better on a second viewing for me uh, says a lot. So I like I like I like the uniqueness of it. I like the fast-paced, frenetic energy involved. And I really like Michelle Yeoh. I mean, I like Michelle Yeoh. I like Ki-Hu uh, Ki Kwan, Kwan, Ki, Ki Kwan as her husband Waymond. Uh, we may know him as Short Round from the Indiana Jones films. But um,
2: If he doesn't win Best Supporting Actor, I expect half the audience at the Academy Awards to get up and walk out. It's just going to be a riot going <laughs> on. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, it just it just... Good stuff all the way around. It was funny. Uh, it also was very emotional. I, I had some moments in the theater that the, I would not have expected. If you had told me going into this, the film that towards the end I was actually going to have some emotional reaction, I'd be like, nah, I don't think so. No, nope, it totally did. And it has kung fu <laughs> fighting. It does. It has time travel, well, not time travel, multiverse. The multiverse is handled so much more interesting <sighs> than like any superhero multiverse thing we deal with nowadays. Yes. Um, so yeah, I did like this film. I like it more on a second viewing and I'm giving it, is it, I mean, if I really look at it, did I really have the absolute best time with it? Like as a top five film of the year, maybe, but I, I'm going to give it the number four spot because I just admire it as much as I enjoyed it. And I maybe admired it more than I enjoyed it, but the combination of those just made it work. So Everybody here was putting in some really good stuff and and I, uh, I had a good time with it. So that is everything everywhere all at once. I know you like this film, Chris, but I just, I, I'm still so curious about your list. I just don't know if it shows up there. So I'll be anxious to hear if it's anywhere in your top three or not. So uh, let's move on to your number three. Then what is your number three film?
2: So you, we reviewed Babylon earlier in the show and I am predicting that is going to occur on your list. And I think, And this film that I'm about to mention, I'm pretty sure is not going to be on your list. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's kind of a dichotomy between Babylon or the Fablemans. Um, Because the Fablemans is number three on my list. And it seems like if you like Babylon, you probably don't like the Fablemans. If you like the Fablemans, you probably (laughs) actively dislike Babylon on both are very much talking about the Hollywood process because this is as we reviewed on, I think maybe our last episode was the fable. It was. Yeah. We talked about how it's, you know, Steven Spielberg kind of doing a mostly biographical, but we'll say semi autobiographical, but he, Mm -hmm. you know, it's taking elements of his childhood and talks about everything. Um, But I I liked the film. And if you had told me that I was going to like a Steven Spielberg film, Mm -hmm better than Alan, I would have said, you're nuts. Yeah. Um, so I true. was surprised about yeah. how little you actually liked this film. Mm-hmm. And does it help that it has a David Lynch cameo at the end of the film? Absolutely. Because even though I knew he was going to be in the film, the role that they give him, the scenery he choose just, and it just ended on a high note for me. Um, so my uh, number three of the film of the year is
1: uh, <clears throat> The Fablemans. I am surprised. Would not have predicted that. I know you liked it. I, I, I didn't know it was a number three for you, but it's good. And it's, it's good, Chris. definitely not going to be on your list. <laughs> It'll be on a list. A <laughs> list. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> It'll be discussed later on, but.
2: Oh, okay. We'll gotcha. see.
1: Yeah. We'll leave it at that.
2: Okay.
1: Um, okay. So that was your number three. Yeah. My number three is also one. I, well, I take it back. I probably knew going into this, I was going to enjoy some element of it, but based on the last several years of this director's output, I wouldn't have predicted it. Um, It's Elvis by Baz Luhrmann. I have seen this one a second time and actually feel like I got even more from it a second viewing. And What I noticed, just like Everything Everywhere All at Once and even like our review of Babylon, the energy this film puts in worked for me. And this is a year where I love the thrilling aspects of film, okay? And Elvis – was frenetic it was fast-paced it was chock full of creative style biography storytelling it did a musical biopic in a very unique way which i'm all for um and i really love the performance of austin butler as elvis thought he was great now was tom hanks the best he could have been as uh, colonel tom parker i'm still jury still out on that for me it's a little hit or miss. There are moments where I think he's really good. And then there's moments where I think it's a little over the top grown worthy. But, um, overall this film just worked. I like Boz Lerman's films. I've been a fan since, you know, Moulin Rouge. I like the energy he puts into the film. So I'm willing to give it that. And, uh, you had a great performance with an iconic character. I can't wait this film, learning things about Elvis and his relationship and his business dealings that I did not know. Mm. And, just like uh, just like I said with Everything Everywhere all at once. There were some scenes towards the end I got a little emotional about thinking about the character and thinking about the situation he was put in. So, I uh, I really thought Elvis worked for me. I love my musical biopics in general when they're done well. And I'll be the first to admit, they haven't always been done well. Most, most of them have been very cliche and generic. Yes, was the rise and fall of Elvis very much like a typical musical biopic? Yeah. But the story of Elvis is a rise and fall story. So, I mean, I get it, but, um, I don't know, just the whole way this was put together, just, I had so much fun with it too. So, so Elvis is my number three, Boslerman's Elvis.
2: That's, I see you put yourself down because you have not seen as many films as I mm-hmm. have. But what you have done is you have revisited films that it's I true. have seen and it gives you a better appreciation and helps you towards the end of the year. For instance, you've seen Babylon twice. You saw, Elvis twice, and I think I I I need to see Elvis again because I am like you. I like Boslerman what he does with film, his frenetic pace, his originality. You can tell when he's the one that made a film. Oh, yeah. He definitely did put original spin on the biopic. Austin Butler is also good. Um, so, but for some reason, I think I found myself maybe just exhausted by the end of it.
1: Um, it can be exhausting.
2: But yeah, I, I that's a, that's a good pick and something that you know I, I I need to look at again. I
1: think these films like. Babylon, everything over all at once and Elvis, where it's just boom, 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 throwing stuff at you and just fast. And, and they do reward you with a second viewing because at the second viewing, you already know the energy level you're going to have thrown at you. So now you can start to just kind of zone in and focus and, and, and appreciate what you're seeing first time through. It is these films can be very overwhelming. So I agree with that. That's my number three. What have you got for number two, Chris? So kind of in the, uh, talk of being overwhelming, imagine
2: if Michael Gondry made a hybrid of looper Kung Fu hustle and sliding doors that had the (laughs) emotional heart of turning red. What am I describing? Well, one that Alan's already mentioned everything everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it, it gets my, it gets my number two spot. I liked it the first time and I liked it more the second time that I saw it. So it is one I managed to see twice, I do want to give it a third viewing, yeah, actually, I am, because I'm I think there's enough that. there. And my daughter hasn't seen it, so I want her to see it, because I think she'll like it. So yeah. uh, everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: Yeah, I knew that had to be in your list somewhere. My whole question was, was it going to be number one, or was it something else going to knock it off? And it sounds like there is a new number one that we're <laughs> going to find out about from Chris here in a little bit. Excited to hear. Uh, chances are pretty high I haven't seen it. So <laughs> maybe. I don't know. We'll see.
2: Or you hated it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or I hated it, yeah. <laughs> Um, my number two and again, kind of keeping with my a little more populist film, And this is one that from earlier in the year oh, and um, cool. I have seen a second time and you know, here's what's interesting when I say it's a popular, a little more populist list, having Elvis in it and having this number two film in it. And even number one, I could argue a little bit of it is uh, when I say these, these bigger films, these big spectacle films, the fact that there's no star wars movie there's no mm. marvel movie there's no big um franchise movie necessarily in my top 5 okay this movie yes is a franchise movie but i think you'll appreciate with me when i when i say what it is that it plays very much not like a franchise movie and that's the batman by um matt reeves okay It is a film that obviously Batman is, of course, intellectual property. I mean, there's tons of movies and characters, but I felt like none of that mattered that this film was just of its own. Mm -hmm. The fact that it didn't try to tie into anything else, it really was its own story, its own beast, its own character, and expertly made. I mean, this is the kind of Batman I think I always wanted to see was a much more detective, much more noir, much more gritty realism, you know, where the characters he's fighting feel like real people not, you know, I love the over the top stuff. I love the Tim Burton movies. I love, you know, I love every iteration I've seen of Batman in some way, shape or form. This is one I always wanted to see. And Mm -hmm. I think I got exactly what I wanted to see from it. And, uh, it's just, and it's just well-made. I mean, well-made, well-acted. Um, I did not really think I would have expected to see, um, um, gosh, um, Robert Pattinson yeah. playing such a interesting Bruce Wayne, but mm-hmm. I loved his performance. I thought Zoe Kravitz was so good in her role. Colin Farrell is still I still can't believe that was him playing <laughs> Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah. Um Paul Dano's the the Riddler. I you know, I like Paul Dano a lot more in this movie than I did the Fablement. So, you know, this uh <laughs> Ow, the Batman throwing still works shade. for me. I had to throw in my one superhero movie, although I have a hard time even calling this a superhero movie because it's just it's a it's a film noir, it's a it's a uh uh thriller that just happens to have a guy dressed as a as a as a bat, you know, for the lead character. Sure. So, uh so The Batman is my number 2 movie of the year that I enjoyed. All right, Chris, what's your number 1? Very anxious to hear.
2: So, a lot of times what plays into my number 1 doesn't have to specifically be whether or not I think Um, it's because of a specific acting thing. Like, you know, obviously the whale is not going to make my number one, but, Mm -hmm. but I do think Brendan Fraser had a good performance. It's not even something where it's the ensemble work. So the women talking is not number one, it's number five. But a lot of times it happens to be kind of a little bit of what you're saying, the theatrical experience of seeing it in the theater and what it felt like watching this film for the first time. Then something that helps is usually if I get to see it a second time, it means, okay, you liked it enough. You actually made the time to watch this thing a second time, which I have done. And then add on that something that I think gives some of the best discussions with people I see the film with, and even on the podcast, I think the back and forth, the discussion, like there's a lot to chew on with the film. Mm -hmm. So typically something like turning red, that was a good animated film from Pixar. I liked it, but it's not going to stay with me and have me thinking it and turning it over and over and over and over in my head. Um, so what film does make me do that? It'd be Jordan Peele's Nope. Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, images from that film have stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Um, the different meanings that are in the film, the different homages to Hollywood, which, you know, I like, here's a, yet another film that came out this year. That's directly talking about Hollywood and how it affects people and how people affects people that are trying to make the movies. And there's just a lot going on in the film. And it makes me that much more excited for the next Jordan Peele project mm. that he does because I like to get out. I liked us even more. And with Nope, I liked it, but then the more I thought about it, the more it just kept going up in my estimation. So yeah, my number one film of the year. Nope.
1: Yeah. uh, I was really close on Nope. Nope. Ended up being my number seven. As I look at the rest of my life, I did have some more listed out after five. Yeah. Nope was close. Okay. Um, I remember I had more questions about it when we reviewed it, just about the themes it was trying to cover. And I felt like maybe trying to cover a few too many themes Mm. and trying to incorporate too many ideas to kind of lose a little bit of the impact with the ones I really wanted them to focus on. But, um, but you're right. Visually images I see are ones I still see in my head. Um, sequences I still absolutely remember. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a very good movie. It was close for me. It okay. close. I had to, I had to debate, uh, uh, my number five spot between a few. So it was in there. Okay. And it was in the running. Okay. So that was your number one. Nope. By Jordan Peele. Yes. will Babylon
2: make Alan's number one. That's what I want. And know. it did. Okay.
1: Babylon's my number one, despite my misgivings with the very end of it, despite my wishing that two of the, the five leads got a little more uh, story time. I still say 95% of this movie just works for me. And uh, it's what I wanted from a theater experience this year. As I look at my list of five, I mean, Three of the five are what I consider big spectacle movies. Everything Everywhere All at Once was just a lot of energy and activity. Elvis was that way as well. Babylon's that way. And that's that's what I got out of the movie experience. That's why I enjoyed it so much. Um, is that going to be common for me? Is every year I'm going to be looking for these big, I'm just in, enthralled by these big spectacle movies? Uh, maybe not. It hasn't been in years past. But for this year, whatever reason, that's what I needed in a theater experience. And I just got it in each of those three Um, so yeah, I've already discussed Babylon earlier in the show. I loved it. Uh, it was the, of the movies I saw was the one I was the most eager to see a second time. So when a family member said, Hey, I really want to see that. I'm like, yes, good. I've got tickets already. (laughs) Let's Let's go. go. We're going tonight. Sure. So, um, just had a great time. I think it's also kind of just fun that I know that a lot of people out there hate it. <laughs> so there's something about it, that too. It's fun
2: to be a champion of a film. It is. Absolutely.
1: It is. I, and it, we didn't even mention the music in our review, but we the didn't. music in Babylon, um, by Which, his partner who I know was also the one who did La La Land. I can't remember the name offhand, but I know the musician there, um, was really good. Well, and I, I just, think
2: in Damien Chazelle coming off films like La La Land and Whiplash, not a surprise that the guy knows how to put a good soundtrack or his yeah. collaborators know how to come up with a good soundtrack. And I am absolutely blanking on his name as well. But, um, yeah. And I will say Damien Chazelle, like I'm interested to see what he does next because he did things like Whiplash. Justin, Justin Herbert. There we go. Yeah. And he did things like La La Land and Whiplash, but then he made first man. Yeah. And which was kind of a, you know, I liked it. Okay. But it was very different kind of film. Didn't really resonate if with anything, audiences.
1: As much as I like this film, I kind of want to go back and see First Man again because I only saw it once. Can I was a little let down by it, I guess maybe because I just felt like it was so different sure. than what its previous films have been. It was true. a much slower, much uh, more somber piece. Yeah. And um, now I kind of just want to go back and see and what I was And then he missing. just
2: completely flipped gears and made something <laughs> this crazy all over the place. So Damien Chazelle, one of those people that I'll always be interested in whatever yeah. he's going to do. True. Very, true. very true.
1: So that's my number one. Okay. Um, so yeah, like I said, of the five, I mean, I consider one of them to be a true quote, small independent film. I think everything everywhere all at once kind of went past that independent small status a little bit just being the biggest film that a 24 is released and all this. But you know, a lot of spectacle, a lot of big audience reaction films for me is what I was kind of thriving off of. So, so you mentioned some of the ones that were
2: kind of on the outside. You mentioned Nope was an mm-hmm. outside looking in. I'll mention, I'll just rattle off sure, some of yeah, the ones ahead. that were on my list. Um, Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Yep. Very good. Um, X, um, I like, which I was a horror it. film done by Ty West. Interestingly enough, a lot of critics seem to really like Pearl more than X and I'm the complete opposite. X mm. came out first and then Pearl actually both were released last year. Which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. Which yeah. is kind of crazy, but a lot more attention has been put on Pearl which is kind of the prequel. Yeah. Um so but you know Marcel and X those are two um Bob's Burgers. <laughs> I did not see that. And I I really I really liked it. I'd never seen the TV show, and yet yeah. it worked anyway. Um, That's so good. That's Bob's good Burgers or Bob's Burgers the movie, I think is how they title it. But um, so that was good. And then an independent film, God's Country, very mm. small independent film with uh, Tandy Newton gives a really good performance in that. So those are ones that were just on the outside looking in for
1: me. I had a couple as well. Um, Prey, oh, the um, yeah. uh, Dan Trachtenberg Predator uh, uh, installment. Just because of the uniqueness of it, putting it in the setting they put it in. I think it was an exciting movie. I thought it was inventive. I like the lead character in it. So, yeah, I like to pray. Nope. You already mentioned Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent with Nicolas Cage, I thought was a nice, surprisingly fun movie. Yeah. More than I expected it to be. Sure. Barbarian, the horror film you and I both discussed, Mm -hmm. I thought was definitely one I had in contention when batting around this list. Uh, Weird, the Weird Al movie. I know you liked it even more than I did, but (laughs) I I still considered it to be one of my better film experiences this year. Um, Kimmy, the Steven Soderbergh Soderbergh film from early in the year. Enjoyed that with Zoe Kravitz. Okay, Hustle with Adam Sandler. was kind of surprised how much I liked that film and would not have expected that. And then the last one I'll say is Men. That was the, uh, oh, what's his name? The director of Men.
2: Oh, oh, oh! Alex Carlin. Alex
1: Carlin's men. I liked a lot as well. So all of those were at least in my head batting around as ones I thought about for best of the year. Fair enough. Plus one I'll mention in a little bit.
2: Okay. So, so now we come to our biggest disappointment.
1: Yep. <laughs> biggest <laughs> so, disappointment.
2: But don't worry, folks. We're going to end on a high note because we're going to give our biggest surprise. That's which right. is a positive thing.
1: So biggest disappointment, meaning what film experience did we go into with hopes that were not met or really, really below met expectations for it. Um, do you want to go first? You want me sure. To, you I know. think I know
2: what yours might be. Okay.
1: Um, so I'll say,
2: uh, I had three that were kind of in competition for this. Okay. Um, and all three, why is it my big disappointment? It usually comes down to what Alan and I talk about all the time. Expectations. What are expectations built by but trailers and also hype that you hear mm-hmm. from movies. So um, runners up in this category
1: mm-hmm.
2: are After Sun, okay. uh, which a lot of people may not have heard of. I think – I don't know yeah. if it's got a theatrical release, but we saw screeners yeah. of it for the end of the year. Um, Tar, yeah, which, you know, tons of hype. Don't have to explain that. Um, I did see that. It's already had a theatrical release. Did see it in a the theater but my biggest disappointment of the year was a film I actually saw with one Alan Jackson at an actual theater, uh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Um, If you want to know why I'm disappointed, go back and listen to our previous episode where we reviewed it. It's just you had such a talented cast. David O. Russell, who keep his personal life out of things because there are problems with that, but he's a talented director. He knows how to direct a movie. He makes some of
1: my favorite movies.
2: And he just... Some it just didn't didn't yeah. pull it off this time, so I was just really let down because was I expecting a perfect film? You know, no, but I was expecting to at least like it and be engaged with it, and mm. I think I ended up giving it two stars. So, yeah, yeah Amsterdam.
1: Well, all right, so I'll just go and say I was considering The Fablemans as my biggest disappointment. Oh, I thought but, then I, con- but then I didn't because the reason is. I realized as soon as I saw the trailer for the Fablemans, I had a fear that this film was going to be a certain way and it turned out to be exactly what I predicted. So I'm like, well, that doesn't really make it a disappointment then, does it, Alan? If I expected it to be a certain way and it turned out to meet those expectations, I'm like, well, I can't really call it a disappointment. Got you. Unfortunately, it lived up to what I expected it was going to be from the minute I saw the trailer and heard the premise of the film. Okay. So that being said, I had to think about what truly was a disappointment. It was Amsterdam. As oh, okay. Well. Yeah. That's truly my biggest disappointment because you're right. So much talent, interesting time uh, period, interesting core story. Yeah. That just didn't know what to do with any of it. And I couldn't, I can't remember a scene other than uh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> like right quickly that's, quickly being removed from the film right. other than that moment i couldn't tell you a scene i couldn't tell you anything that stood out as like an interesting part an interesting per- i mean nothing it all just kind of blurred together and just didn't amount to anything at the end so yeah i'm with you on that amsterdam was my biggest disappointment
2: fair enough all right
1: so let's end with a surprise or the best you know surprise kind of the a nice positive on this um chris if it's okay i'll go first sure um there's a film you've probably not heard me mention anywhere in my top five, but you kind of teased early on that it was probably going to be in my list or maybe be there multiple times. It was not in my top five for a particular reason, but it was my biggest surprise, and that was Top Gun Maverick. I, As much as I may have joked in the year leading up to Top Gun Maverick being released about how excited I was to see it, I knew down deep it probably wasn't going to be great. I mean, look, the original Top Gun <laughs> is not great, but it does hold a nostalgia piece for me, where sure. I still love that movie, even though I realize it is a flawed movie. It is, it is corny. It is cheesy. It is, you know, uh, it's really just hinging on uh, male machismo. Let's go, USA <laughs> type of thing. Right. So, yeah, when all the talk about the sequel came out, I'm like, oh man, that's gonna be so good. I'm so excited. I'm excited for nostalgia's sake, and that's it. I did not expect it to be a good movie. Well, I expect it to be okay, but probably not great. Did not expect it to be the number one grossing movie of the year. And did not expect to go into the theatrical experience and come out of it so happy like I was with the way this film played out. The reason it's not one of my top films of the year is really because the first half of the film, when I'm watching it, I really am worried watching (laughs) this. Because the first half is just... Hitting the same beats as the original, just playing purely to nostalgia. It is kind of grown worthy in some scenes, some scenes where all the new aviators, all the new top gun people are meeting each other. It was like, Oh my God, this is bad. Like this movie is going to be so bad. I'm so disappointed. Then we get to the second half, the, the final, Star Wars subplot, the big, the big, the big, <laughs> destroy the, Death Star. the big uh, chase fight, uh, action seek. And it's glorious. And I thought it was so much fun and so much fun to watch with an audience. So I'm like, you know what, that is my biggest surprise, how much this movie did work for me, despite everything it had going against it. So I'm not enough to say it's number top five of the sure. year, but it is a big surprise for me how much I did really like this compared to what I honestly expected it would probably be. So,
2: you, you know, what I, I totally get that. And what solidifies the biggest surprise for me is a movie that I think is going to be garbage. And I end up really liking or something that I haven't even heard of with top gun Maverick. I will give credence. I wouldn't say it's my biggest surprise because yeah, I thought I'd hate it. I don't still don't like the movie, but it wasn't terrible, which Mm -hmm. shocked me because I thought this is going to be garbage. And it was Mm -hmm. actually okay. Yeah. Um, Especially if you like top gun movies, it was probably amazing. But Mm -hmm. um, that being said, what constitutes my biggest surprise? Well, it was a film I didn't even know was coming out in 2022, hadn't heard of it until I literally got a critic's link to watch it. And then it was released, not, didn't even really come out in theaters, maybe for like a week and was gone. And I think it was really good. We actually brought it to our uh, film society. Ah, okay, Confess Fletch. Um, there's I, John Hamm. I just, he's so good in this. And it's the type of thing that, like, why do we need another Fletch movie? Well, we don't. But when it was this good, I'm like, cool. And there's rumblings. They may make more of them. I hope they do. Because it was a fun time in the theater watching it with our film society, which is the only reason I got to see it in the theater, um, and having people laugh. And it was a good comedy. And I just feel like that was rare in 2022. And it's, I I don't know. I would like to see more of it. Um, Well,
1: it's a rare movie movie. In general, not even just for this year, like in the last decade, I just don't feel like we've gotten small. Hey, If, you, if you're going for a movie like this and the general tendency has been to either got to make it just this outrageous comedy, right? just over the top comedy and bring in some big comedic actors to like do it all. Or if you're going to go mystery or you're going to go drama, you got to go heavy and you got to go violence and you got to go more of that. To go with something that was some, I mean, relatively simple. Oh. And really simple. There's no moments I I'm I mean I know people laugh and there were moments I'm definitely laughing. Sure. But there's no like outrageous comedic moments that are just like, oh my gosh, you've got to see this scene. People gotta talk about this. You know, nobody talks about a particular scene from Confessed Fletch. <laughs> but the overall movie just worked. I mean, it just it was a great simple movie, like I think we used to make a lot more of back in the day, and they just don't make anymore. So
2: Right. And you've got a, a great cast, you've Roy Wood Jr. playing a great role yeah. and you know, I've already mentioned John Hamm, you have Kyle McLaughlin. So yeah, I, I just, I really liked it. It was the biggest surprise to me because I didn't even know it existed. And then yeah. once I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is a Fletch movie. And then I actually watched it and it was good. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Okay. Well, good. So that is our list. That was our top fives for the year, as well as our biggest disappointments and our biggest surprises for 2022. Now, Chris, there's a few films that get, did get very late releases that we're still probably going to be catching up with over the next month or two that are technically 2022 films, but we're seeing them in 2023. So I can't say that the year has been completely put to bed, but as far as what was actually seen and released and reviewed in 2022, that is the list we've got. So, um, and then of course we gave our opinions of the whale in Babylon earlier in the film um, or earlier in the, the podcast discussion So a lot of films being discussed, a lot of things being mentioned, but we'd love to hear from people too. Like what were their favorites of the year that maybe we we didn't kind of overlooked? Are there some that we didn't see that we, we acknowledged a few we didn't get to catch up with in 2022? But are there some obvious ones we should have caught up with that may have made our list if we were to go back and redo it? How, how can they people get a hold of us and talk to us about those things?
2: You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Footcandle Film. Al and I are also on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing. Give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast, and it'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it foot candle film festival of 2023 will be in September 18th through the 24th. So you can try to make plans if you're in Western North Carolina to come hang out with us and see it. It'll be, it'll be fun. If you're looking for our recommendations that usually fit into the show, just go to our top fives. If there's a film you haven't seen, you can consider that. For example, mine would be my old school, which is readily available on Hulu. That's it for me.
1: All right. Well, great. Well, thanks everybody for listening to our episode today, our wrap up of 2022 and our reviews to go along with it. If anybody has any thoughts, questions, feel free to drop us a note, let us know. Otherwise, we will be back with a new episode here in the next couple of weeks where we'll be discussing another couple of new films and going back into our news. Maybe we'll have some trailers to discuss, some news items going into 2023, and of course, some recommendations as well. So stay tuned. We'll be back with Foot Candle Films before too long. But I uh, hope everybody had a great holiday season. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Watch
0: Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community.